who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. Shadows at the Door is an audio drama podcast designed to scare and delight you. While rarely explicit, it is nonetheless produced with an adult audience in mind. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8. I'm your host, Mark Nixon. Now, it'll come as no surprise to you that I've read a lot of ghost stories. In fact, I couldn't possibly hazard a guess at how many, and if I'm feeling rather pretentious, I would dare to call myself a connoisseur. Now, at this point, you'd be wondering, why am I showing off? Because I'd like you to consider the gravity of the following statement. Today's ghost story is one of the best I've ever read. The story has a wonderful title, A Warning to the Curious, and was written by none other than M.R. James. Come on, this is Shadows at the Door. Of course it was going to be him. This story was written after World War One. James didn't fight because he was the provost of King's College in Cambridge. The university provided a stream of men for the war, many of whom James knew personally, and sadly, many of these men didn't return. Not only this, but the fields of Cambridge were offered as a field hospital for wounded soldiers. James would wonder the hospital and be exposed to the horrors of war second-hand as he saw the injuries of the men 
and the terror in their eyes. I mention this because sadness is woven into the very fabric of this story, and the context in which it was written will no doubt enhance your experience. But it's not all doom and gloom today. Join David and I after the story for a discussion, and you can even hear a snippet of the time I spoke with the ultimate MR James fan, Mark Gatiss. But for now, gather around the fire, pour yourself some tea, and we'll begin. Are you sure I can't get you a cup of tea? No? Very well. It's remarkable how uncomfortable an Englishman can be when his company declines tea. Well, I shall enjoy mine all the same. Earl Grey, you know, marvellous stuff. You see, that, that's, that's bergamot you can smell. A little cornflower and uh, <laughs> a flutter of lemon. Oh, lovely. <laughs> the thing is, you must never, never have it with milk. It destroys it completely. Look, are you sure you don't want to... Sorry, this uh, really is a force of habit. But, yes, um... I promised you the story, didn't I? Um, let's see. Uh, well, cast your mind to the East Coast. Specifically, the place I ask you to consider is the town Sebra. It's not very different now from what I remember it to have been when I was a child. <laughs> Marshes intersected by embankments to the south, uh, recalling the early chapters of Great Expectations. <laughs> Um, then uh, flat fields to the north, uh, merging into woodland. And, of course, a, a long seafront by the town with a, a spacious, spacious church behind it. Yes. <laughs> I remember the bells of the church very well. The railway ran down to its little terminus farther along from here, just near an old windmill. And, and I know I encumber you with such details. The, the truth is, it's the kind of place that causes these details to spill forth when spoken about. In fact, um, just indulge a little longer, if you would be so kind. <laughs> so, um, walk away from the sea and the town, past the station, and turn up the road on the right. It's a sandy road, parallel with the railway, and if you follow it, it climbs to somewhat higher ground. And on the left, going northward, is an area of uncultivated land, while on your right, toward the sea, is a belt of old fir trees, wind-beaten, thick at the top, with that slope all seaside trees have. Uh, seen from the skyline from the train, you would tell in an instant, if you did not already know it, that you were approaching a, a windy coast. Well, on top of that little hill, a line of firs strikes out and runs towards the sea. There is a ridge that goes that way, uh, and the ridge ends in a rather well-defined mound, commanding the level fields of rough grass, and a little knot of fir trees crowns it. 
And here you may sit on a hot spring day, very well content to look at blue sea and white windmills, red cottaged bright green grass, church tower and distant martello tower on the south. <sighs> as I said, I knew Zebra as a child, but a gap of a good many years separates my early knowledge from that which is more recent. Still, it keeps its place in my affections, um... Well, that is to say, it, it, it used to, um... But, of course, this is why you are here. I used to go to Zebra quite regularly for golf. I, I went with, um... <laughs> well, back then we would have been called friends. Uh, there was a particular hotel that we always stayed in, and we always chose the same two rooms. They had an interior door between them, so you could rent two rooms but walk freely between them without entering the hall. Uh, there was also a, a sitting room downstairs we rather enjoyed and would spend many a happy evening there. Since he died, I haven't cared to go back, and we, we never did anyhow after the particular thing that happened. Yes, it happened on our, our, our last visit. It was a, a decade or so ago now, early spring, and by some chance we found ourselves almost the only people in the hotel. So the ordinary public rooms were practically empty, and we were the more surprised when, after dinner, the sitting room door opened and uh, a young woman popped her head in. She was a, a rather rabbity, anemic subject. Light hair and light eyes, but not, not unpleasing. Uh, she was dressed smartly in tweed and asked rather politely if the room was private. Uh, naturally, we did not growl, and I... Uh, um, was it Henry? Uh, it, it doesn't matter. One of us invited her to take a seat. Uh, she was ever so thankful and, in fact, seemed uh, quite relieved. It was unusual, more then than it is now, to find a, a woman travelling solo, never mind one as young as her. She was very much one of those feminist types with an air of good education behind her. A stranger still was the fact she seemed eager for company. She seemed a reasonably kind person, so we urged her to make herself at home. Soon, with the standard pleasantries out of the way, it became clear to me that after a few minutes this visitor of ours was in... A rather a nervous state, and as this became more clear, I put away my book and gave her my full attention. How did she start again? Um, oh, yes, um, you'll think it very odd of me, but the fact, but the fact is, is I've, I've had, had something of a shock. shock. Perhaps a stiff drink is the ticket? Well, that's your solution to everything. <laughs> Shush. Well, joking aside, we have plenty to spare if you'd care to join us. Uh, no, thank you. We're fine. Aren't we, James? Uh, oh, yes. Fine. Fine. Mm -hmm. uh, do you need anything from the staff? No, thank you. Uh, yes. All, all fine here. Thank you. Are you quite all right? Yes, I... Calm yourself. Um, I'm Paxton, by the way. Karina Paxton. Oh, pleased to meet you, Paxton. I'm James King, and this is Henry Long. A pleasure. 
Oh, yes. I saw your names on the check-in list. Ah, yes, of course. So could I ask you for a word of advice? By all means. Of course. Thank you. But first, some context. More than a week ago, I cycled over to Froston to see the church. I studied architecture, and it's got one of those pretty porches with niches and shields. I took a photograph of it, and then an old man who was tending to the grounds came and asked if I'd like to see inside. Of course, I jumped at the chance. There wasn't much inside, but I told him it was nice enough and very clean, but nothing eclipsed the port. So on that topic, he asked if I knew the meaning of the coat of arms. Would this be the three crowns? The very same. I wasn't familiar, but the old man told me it was the old arms of the Kingdom of East Anglia. He pressed if I knew the meaning, and when I admitted I didn't, he... Well, he took the mick a little, if I'm honest. But he did let me know they represented the three holy crowns buried by the coast to keep the Germans from landing over the years. We were then joined by the rector, and the old man recruited him immediately to confirm his story of the crown. (laughs) I know I'm rambling here. Oh, oh, no, 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 by all means. Are you sure? Uh, Please, uh, continue. Okay, so... We spoke a little while. Well, they spoke at me, and the rector initially seemed reluctant to go into much detail, yet the old man pressed on. By this point, I was curious enough to actually encourage it myself, if only to see why the old man was so excited. Eventually, the rector filled me in on the local legend of the Three Crowns. Mm. Are you familiar? Uh, No, no. Well, this was his point. Nobody seemed to know it anymore. Me neither. The old story said that these three crowns were buried in different places near the coast to keep off the Danes or the French or the Germans. They said that one of the three was dug up a long time ago and another disappeared by the encroaching sea so that there was only one left still doing its work, keeping off invaders. (laughs) And, well, I looked into it. Oh, yes? Yeah. In 1687, a crown was dug up at Rendlesham on the coast, and I do believe this is one of the three supposedly holy crowns. Then on the south coast, there was a Saxon royal palace which is now under the sea. So there, perhaps, was the second crown. And up beyond these two, they said, lay the third. Did they say where it is? Sort of. It all came to light with the mention of the name of William Ager. And who might that be? Well, these Agers are a very old name in these parts, I was told. Apparently they didn't seem to be people of quality or big landowners. No, instead their family seems to be the guardians of the last crown. Hmm. I see. The first one known was Nathaniel Ager born and raised here and was said to have camped out at the location of the crown during the whole of the War of 1870. William, his son, did the same, it seems, during the South African War. And young William, his son, who only died fairly recently, took lodging at the cottage nearest the spot. This seemed to hasten his end, for he was consumptive, apparently. The man just wasted away. This was by exposure and night-watching, you understand. And he seemed to be the last. So the last of the Holy Crowns no longer had a guardian. You can imagine how interested I was in all this. Well, naturally. And as I left, the only thing I could think of was how to hit upon the spot where the crown was supposed to be. 
Only now I wish I'd left it alone. Oh? It was fate, perhaps. As I circled back past the churchyard, my eye caught a fairly new gravestone, and on it was the name William Ager, who had indeed died quite recently. I travelled into town and asked around about the man, a little judicious questioning in the right place, and I could perhaps find the cottage. And of course, by then, I was determined, after all, find the cottage. Find the crown. Precisely. Uh And yes, fate would strike again when I found myself in the bookshop. They had some old books by Eger that had found their way to them after his death, and I found... This. Eger's prayer book. Nathaniel Eger is my name, and England is my nation. Seaborough is my dwelling place, and Christ is my salvation. When I am dead and in my grave, and all my bones are rotten, I hope the Lord will think on me when I am quite forgotten. This was dated 1754, and there were many more entries of Agers, Nathaniel, Frederick, William and so on, ending with our William just last year. You see, anybody would call it the greatest bit of luck. I mean, I did. But I don't now. And of course, I asked the shopkeeper about the cottage, and of course, she knew just where the cottage was. And so, of course, off I went. I'm going to assume you found the place. Of course I did. At this point, I'm convinced the very stars would have aligned to guide me there. All I had to do was dig for the thing. Now I know something about digging in these barrows. I've opened many of them in the down country. But that was in broad daylight and with men to help. I had to prospect very carefully here before I put a spade in. Still, the soil was very light and easy, and there was already a rabbit hole that might be developed into a sort of tunnel. I spent all night out there. I made my tunnel, supported it and filled it once I was done. But the main thing is, I got the crown. Good Lord, really? That's incredible. No man alive has even seen a Saxon crown. Why? This is fantastic. The worst of it is, I don't know how to put it back. Put it back? My dear lady, you've made one of the most exciting finds ever heard of in this country. Indeed. What's the difficulty? Of course it ought to go to a museum, but if you're worried about the owner of the land and treasure trove and all that, we can... I can certainly help you through that. No one's going to make a fuss about technicalities in a case of this kind. I don't understand, no. I don't know how to put it back. You'll forgive me, I hope, if I seem impertinent. But are you quite sure you've got it? Well, yes, I was going to ask the same thing. I hadn't dared, unlike my bold partner here. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I have it here, in my room, locked up in my bag. You can come and look at it if you like. I won't... I won't bring it downstairs. (laughs) Well, all right then. We were not likely to let the chance slip. We went with her. Her room was only a few doors off from ours. The staff were collecting shoes in the passage, or so we thought. Afterwards, we were... (laughs) We were not sure. Paxton was in a worse state of shivers than before, and went hurriedly into the room and beckoned us after her. She turned on the light and shut the door carefully. Then she unlocked her kit bag and produced a bundle of clean pocket handkerchiefs in which something was wrapped. 
She laid it on the bed and undid it. Uh, I can now say I have seen an actual Anglo-Saxon crown. It was of silver, as the Rendlesham one is always said to have been, and it was set with some gems, mostly antique intaglios and cameos, and was of rather plain, although almost rough, workmanship. In fact, it was like those you see on the coins and in the manuscripts. I found no reason to think it was later than the ninth century. I was intensely interested, of course, and I wanted to turn it over in my hands, but Paxton prevented me. She ordered me not to touch it, and with a sigh that was, I declare to you, dreadful to hear, she took it up and turned it about so that we could see every part of it. Once asked if we had seen enough, we nodded. She then wrapped it up and locked it in her bag and stood looking at us dumbly. Long offered that she come back downstairs and tell us what the trouble was, but strangely enough she asked us to go first and see if the coast was clear. We were almost amused by the request. We had not been suspicious in any way, and the hotel, as I said, was practically empty. However, Long and I were beginning to have inklings of... Um, <laughs> Well, I, I don't know what it was, and anyhow, nerves are infectious. <laughs> so we did go, uh, first peering out as we opened the door, and uh, fancying that a, a shadow, or, or more than a shadow, but it made no sound, passed from before us to one side as we came out into the passage. <laughs> However, at the time, we didn't recognise the importance of what we had just seen. No, instead, we whispered to Paxton that it was all right. Whispering seemed the proper tone. And we went with her between us back to the sitting room. I was preparing, when we got there, to be ecstatic about the unique interest of what we had seen, to forget the shadow in the hallway. But, but, uh, when I looked at Paxton, I saw that would be terribly out of place, and I left it to her to begin. What is to be done? Or well, why not find out who the owner of the land oh, is? Oh, no! And... No! No. In fact, you've been very kind. But don't you see? It has to go back. And I don't go at night again, and the daytime is impossible. And... Well, the truth is, I've never been alone since I first touched it. What? Oh, look, my dear... No, shush. Ah. I think I do see, perhaps. But wouldn't it be a relief to tell us more clearly what the situation is? Perhaps. Perhaps not. Okay. But pull your chairs forward, I will not say it loudly. It began when I was first prospecting. There was always somebody there. A man, standing by one of the fir trees. This was in daylight, you know. He was never in front of me. I always saw him with the tail of my eye on the left or the right. And he was never there when I looked straight for him. I would lie down for quite a long time and take careful observations and make sure there was no one. 
and then when I got up to dig again, there he was. And from what I could tell, he was weak, gaunt, but I didn't dare face up to him. And when I was making the tunnel, of course he was worse, and had I not been so keen on the crown, then I should have dropped everything and ran for it. It was like somebody was scraping at my back all the time. I thought for the longest time it was only soil dropping on me, but as I got nearer the crown it was unmistakable. And when I actually laid it bare and got my fingers on the crown and pulled it out, there came... There came a sort of cry behind me. Christ! I can't describe to you both how desolate it was. And horribly threatening too. It spoilt all pleasure in my discovery immediately. And if I hadn't been the wretched fool that I am, well, I should have put the thing back and left it. But I didn't, did I? The rest of the time was just awful. I had hours to get through before I could decently come back to the hotel. First I spent time filling up my tunnel and covering my tracks, and all the while he was there trying to thwart me. Sometimes you know you see him, and sometimes you don't. It's just as he pleases, I think. I think... He's there, but he has some power over your eyes. Well, I wasn't off the spot very long before sunrise, and then I had to get back to the train for Zebra. And though it was coming to daylight, I, I don't know if that made it much better. There were always hedges or gorse bushes or park fences along the road. Always cover is what I mean. And I was never easy for a second. And then when I began to come across people going to work, they always looked behind me very strangely. It might have been that they were surprised at seeing anyone so early, but I didn't think that then, and I do not think that now. They... They didn't look exactly at me. And the porter at the train was like that too. The guard held open the door after I got on the carriage, just to see would if there was somebody else coming, you see. And this crown... Even if I do put it back, he won't forgive me. I can tell that. <sighs> and I was so happy a fortnight ago. Well, you can imagine how useful we were in front of a crying woman. Eventually, Long spattered me to help, and all I could do was uh, approach her and pat her thrice on the back. Uh, strangely, such a gesture didn't garner much response. But in truth, we didn't know what to say. Neither of us were any good at this sort of thing. But we felt we must come to her rescue somehow, and so it seemed the only thing we could do was to offer to help put the crown back, seeing as she was so set on it. And though at this point we didn't know how exactly to take the story, it, it did seem the right thing to do. If these horrid consequences had come on this poor woman, might there not really be something in the original idea of the crown having some curious power bound up with it to guard the coast? At least that was my feeling, and I dare say it was Long's too. And I suspect you're feeling the same right about now. Yes? Yes. 
It may come as no surprise to you to learn that this suggestion was very welcome to Paxton. The question was, when could we do it? It was nearing half past ten. Could we contrive to make a late walk that very night? We looked out of the window. There was a brilliant full moon, the Paschal Moon. It was as clear a night as one could hope for. Paxton had spoken of fate, and it seemed yet again the stars were aligning to accommodate her. Knowing what happened next and thinking back now, it is hard not to assign importance to such things. <laughs> or perhaps man looks for design in an indifferent and random universe. I remain uncertain of such things. Long undertook to retrieve all the boots. Paxton brought her coat but didn't put it on. Instead, she wrapped it around the crown and carried it under her arm. The staff of the hotel watched us as we headed for the seafront in the dead of night. We must have seemed so strange to them. And so we were off on this strange brand before we had time to think how very much out of the way it was. I have told you this part quite shortly on purpose, for it really does represent the haste with which we settled our plan and took action. Well, there was nobody about. Nobody at all. A zebra out of the season is a... Uh, <laughs> it's a very quiet place. I confess to having thought that there might be someone out there who might be conscious of our business, but... If it was so, they were also conscious that one who was on their side, so to say, had us under surveillance, and we saw no sign of them. But under observation we felt we were, as I have never felt it at another time. Especially was it so when we passed out of the churchyard into a narrow path with close high hedges, through which we hurried and so got out into open fields. Then along hedges, though I would sooner have been in the open, where I could see if anyone was visible behind me over a gate or two, and then a swerve to the left, taking us up on the ridge which ended in that mound. As we neared it, Henry felt, and I felt too, that there were what I can only call dim presences waiting for us, as well as a far more actual one attending us. Of uh, Paxton's agitation all this time I can give you no adequate picture. She breathed like a hunted beast, and we could not either of us look at her face. How she would manage when we got to the very place we had not troubled to think. She had seemed so sure that that would not be difficult. Nor was it. I never saw anything like the dash with which she flung herself at a particular spot in the side of the mound and tore at it, so that in a very few minutes the greater part of her body was out of sight. We stood holding the coat and that bundle of handkerchiefs and looking very fearfully, I must admit, about us. There was nothing to be seen. A line of dark firs behind us made one skyline. Uh, more trees and the church tower half a mile off on the right. Cottages and a windmill on the horizon on the left. Calm sea, dead in front. Faint barking of a dog at a cottage on a gleaming dike between us and it. Full moon making that path we know across the sea. 
the eternal whisper of the Scotch firs just above us and of the sea in front. Yet, in all this quiet, an acute, an acrid consciousness of a restrained hostility very near us, like a dog on a leash that might be let go at any moment. Here we are. just fell on it as she snatched it. We had not ourselves touched that bit of metal, and I have thought since that it was just as well. In another moment, Paxton was out of the hole again and busy shoveling back the soil with hands that were already bleeding. She would have none of our help, though, and it was much the longest part of the job to get the place to look undisturbed. <laughs> Yet I don't know how, but she made a wonderful success of it. At last she was satisfied, and we turned back. Rocio, let's go. Right you are. I say, Paxton, you've left your coat there. See? Oh, yes, that won't do. No, that isn't my coat. Well, of course it is. I mean, it look... It's here in my hands. Huh? What? Where's it gone? Hmm. Well... Uh, we got out onto the road and came rapidly back that way. It was well before twelve when we got in, trying to put a good face on it and saying, well, Long and I, oh, what a lovely night it was for a walk. <laughs> the staff were on the lookout for us and we made remarks like that for their edification as we entered the hotel. The fellow gave another look up and down the seafront before he locked the front door and said, Um... <laughs> You didn't meet many people about, I suppose, sir? Uh, no, indeed, not a soul, I said, at which I remember Paxton looked oddly at me. Only I thought I see someone turn quickly up the station road after you, gentlemen, he said. Still, you was three together. I don't suppose you meant mischief. I didn't know what to say. Long merely said good night, and we went off upstairs to our room, uh, promising to turn out all lights and to go to bed in a few minutes. Well, uh, that's the crown back safe. Yes, it's back. And yes, uh, you've done better not to have ever touched it, but no real harm has been done. 
and we shall never give this away to anyone who would be so mad as to go near it. Isn't that right, Henry? Most definitely. Uh, besides, uh, don't you feel better yourself? I don't mind confessing that on the way there, well, uh, I was very much inclined to take your view about, um, well, about being followed. Uh, uh, but coming back, it, it wasn't the same thing, was it? Hmm. You've absolutely nothing to trouble yourself about. <sighs> but I'm not forgiven. I've got to pay for that miserable sacrilege still. I know what you're going to say. The church might help. Yes. But it's the body that has to suffer. It's true I'm not feeling that he's waiting outside for me just now, but... Good night, gentlemen. Thank you for coming with me. Will you join us tomorrow? Oh yes, please do. Uh, do you golf? I have in the past. But I'm not sure I should care for it tomorrow. Get plenty of rest and join us in the sitting room tomorrow. We insist. Uh, we could go for a walk or, or you could join us for cards. That would be nice. A day like that would be nice. Well, anyway, good night. You'll wonder why we didn't insist on accompanying her to her room or seeing her safe into the care of brothers or someone. The fact was, she had nobody. She had had a flat in the next town, but lately had made up her mind to settle for a time in Sweden, and she had dismantled her flat and shipped off her belongings and was whiling away a fortnight or three weeks before making a start. Anyhow, we didn't see what we could do better than sleep on it, or or not sleep very much, as was my case, and see what we felt like tomorrow morning. We felt very different, Long and I, on as beautiful an April morning as you could desire, and Paxton also looked very different when we saw her at breakfast. The first approach to a decent night I seem ever to have had, was what she said. But she was going to do as we had settled stay in probably all the morning and come out with us later. We went to the links, we met some other men and played golf with them in the morning and had lunch there rather early so as not to be late back. All the same, the snare of death overtook. Whether it could have been prevented, I don't know. I think she would have been got at somehow, do what we might. Nonetheless, I have played these events countless times in my mind. We went straight up to the living room. Paxton was there reading quite peaceably. Long asked if she would join us in around half an hour and she agreed. We informed her we were off to have baths and would be back in that time. I had my bath first, and went and lay down on my bed and slept for about ten minutes. We came out of our rooms, room together, and went to the sitting room. Paxton wasn't there, only her book. Nor was she in her room, nor in the downstairs rooms. We shouted for her. A servant came out and said, "'Why, I thought you gentlemen was gone out already, and so did the lady.' She heard you were calling from the path there and run out in the hurry, and I looked out of the coffee room window, but I didn't see you. However, she ran off down the beach that way. Without a word, we ran that way too. It was the opposite direction to that of last night's expedition. It wasn't quite four o'clock, and the day was fair. 
though not so fair as it had been. So that was really no reason, you'd say, for anxiety. With people about, surely a, a woman couldn't come to much harm. But something in our look as we ran out must have struck the servant, for he came out on the steps and pointed and said, Yes, that's the way she went. We ran on as far as the top of the shingle bank and there pulled up. Uh, there was a choice of ways, past the houses on the seafront or along the sand at the bottom of the beach, which, the tide being now out, was fairly broad. Or, of course, we might keep along the shingle between those two tracks and have some view of both of them, uh, only that was heavy going. We chose the sand, for that was the loneliest, and someone might come to harm there without being seen from the public path. <laughs> James! There she is! Where? Up ahead! Oh, there, there's someone! Paxton! <laughs> Paxton! Paxton! She mustn't hear us! Oh, or it's not her! Blasted, it must be! What's she doing? I can't see for this bloody mist! It's come out of nowhere! I think. I think she's running after someone. She's waving her arms, I think. Paxton! Paxton! Hang on. Uh, uh, these tracks. Uh, someone's barefoot, it looks like. Uh, barefoot? They're practically like bone. What? Uh, James! And these tracks joining them, are they... Uh, yes, they look like, like women's shoe prints. It must be her. Uh, why is she running after them? What are you saying, James? I don't like this, Henry. I don't like this at all. Paxton! 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 The notion of Paxton running after anything like this and supposing it to be the friend she was looking for was very dreadful to us. You can guess what we fancied, how the thing she was following might stop suddenly and turn round on her and what sort of face it would show, half seen at first in the mist, which all the while was getting thicker and thicker. And as I ran on, wondering how the poor wretch could have been lured into mistaking that other thing for us, I remembered her saying, He has some power over your eyes. And then I wondered what the end would be, for I had no hope now that the end could be averted, and, well, there is no need to tell all the dismal and horrid thoughts that flitted through my head as we ran on into the mist. It was uncanny, too, that the sun should still be bright in the sky and we could see nothing. We could only tell that we were now past the houses and had reached that gap there is between them and the old Martello Tower. When you are past the tower, you know, there is nothing but shingle for a long way, not a house, not a human creature, just that spit of land, or rather shingle, with the river on your right and the sea on your left. But just before that, just by the Martello Tower, you remember there is the old battery close to the sea. I believe there are only a few blocks of concrete left now, the rest has all been washed away, but at this time there was a lot more, though the place was a ruin. Well, when we got there, we clambered to the top as quick as we could to take breath and look over the shingle in front if by chance the mist would let us see anything. But a moment's rest we must have. We had run a mile, at least. Nothing whatever was visible ahead of us, and we were just turning by common consent to get down and run hopelessly on when we heard... Oh, 
what I can only call a laugh. And if you can understand what I mean by a breathless, a, a lungless laugh, you have it. But I don't suppose you can. It came from below and swerved away into the mist. Oh, the mist! <laughs> Good Lord. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. We bent over the wall. Paxton was there at the bottom. You don't need to be told that she was dead. Her tracks showed that she had run along the side of the battery, had turned sharp round the corner of it, and, smalled out of it, must have dashed straight into the open arms of someone who was waiting there. Her mouth was full of sand and stones, and her teeth and jaws were broken to bits. I, I only glanced once at her face. At the same moment, just as we were scrambling down from the battery to get to the body, we heard a shout and saw a man running down the bank of the Martello Tower. He was the caretaker stationed there, and his keen old eyes had managed to descry through the mist that something was wrong. He had seen Paxton fall. Had he, we asked, caught sight of anybody attacking our friend? He could not be sure. We sent him off for help and stayed by the poor dead woman till they came with the stretcher. It was then that we traced out how he had come on the narrow fringe of sand under the battery wall. The rest was shingle, and it was hopelessly impossible to tell whither the other had gone. What were we to say at the inquest? It was a duty we felt not to give up there and then, the secret of the crown to be published in every paper. I don't know how much you would have told, but what we did agree upon was this, to say that we had only made acquaintance with Paxton the day before, and that she had told us she was under some apprehension of danger at the hands of a man called William Ager. Also that we had seen some other tracks besides Paxton's when we followed her along the beach. But of course, by that time, well, everything was gone from the sands. No one had any knowledge, fortunately, of any William Ager living in the district. The evidence of the man at the Martello Tower freed us from all suspicion. All that could be done was to return a verdict of willful murder by some person or persons unknown. Paxton was so totally without connections that all the inquiries that were subsequently made ended in a no thoroughfare. But of course you know this, the, the gaps in the official story and the local gossip mill are what brought you to me after all. And I have never been at Zebra or even near it since. I hope you tread carefully if you do decide to go. After all, I don't think there'll be much for you to see all these years later. 
perhaps it's time for another cup. But I do hope this has all been helpful. I'm afraid you don't have much evidence other than my words and the records you've already seen. Long is dead, of course, and it did happen so many years ago. But nonetheless, the best of luck in your research. It has been a pleasure to meet you, Professor Troughton. Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers? I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. a warning to the curious written by montague rhodes james adapted by me mark william nixon and you're joined as always by a third of the cast hello david yes hello mark how are we doing doing well good 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 i've got a bit of a bone to pick with you though Oh, okay now um the thing is that i know regeneration is a lottery <laughs> I'm aware of this. But regenerating into a woman is so 2018. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> Alienating a third of our audience for, uh, what, two years now. So. <laughs> yep, exactly. I needed to get it in straight away, so there we go. Cloister bell can ring. Paxton is one of the great protagonists of the ghost story genre, and Paxton is is very much a dude. <laughs> we did a gender swap, and we got... We did a gender swap. We asked mm-hmm. Jodie Whittaker uh, to play Paxton. <laughs> no, although I'm pretty sure Alana could probably do a good Jodie Whittaker, but... Well, Jodie Whittaker was too busy filming something else, so... Yeah. Um, to be fair, right Alana now instead. she probably isn't. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty sure Jodie Whittaker is quite available for voiceover work. Uh, Jodie, Jodie, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on. Loved you in Black Mirror. The season two budget doesn't stretch as far as Jodie Whittaker, though, does it? <laughs> Probably would wipe out everything. <laughs> you spent it all on tea, you swine. <laughs> I have this image of people coming to my house and going, so what are you spending the, the coffee money on? And then uh, a cupboard door... Uh, buckles under the pressure and explodes and Earl Grey tea leaves just spill out. (laughs) Yeah, so Paxton is a woman which um, I think I don't know, it it brings a new dimension to the story because Paxton, although a very competent person, is is obviously on the verge of being murdered in the story and in Hmm. the original text is is very anxious and very uh, vulnerable. And there was a little part of me that thought, if I make Paxton a woman, am I just playing on that additional vulnerability that might be perceived from from a woman mm-hmm. uh, playing the role? And I'll, I'll be honest, I thought the fact that this 
academic woman is traveling England on her own, approaching men in hotels and, and <laughs> so I think she sounds very independent and I and I added the line, What are those feminist types, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> in that respect, I, I actually really think this Paxton comes across quite well. Mm. Um, and mm. of course Alana it, I sometimes worry when I edit these discussions that I don't give enough praise where it's due and it's just me and David going oh David you were marvellous oh yes Mark and you were marvellous too excellent huzzah <laughs> and, but uh, probably went too close to the mic for that why I David you were great that was that was a the greater good <laughs> the greater good <laughs> <laughs> Why, I, uh, David, you were absolutely fantastic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, Alana, um, I think, I remember sending the script to Alana and I said, Alana, this is one of the great ghost story protagonists. And I was so happy to give her this role. And I think she did great. And let our audience be reminded that Alana is, that's not her, her uh, I don't know. And I know, like, David, you do different accents all the time, but I think... Well, you know, they're I, all I have... English. Yes, well, yes, pretty yeah. much. Apart from the um, the the hotelier in room thirteen. Ah, oh, yes, your mm. uh, vague German, as you refer to it. <laughs> vague German, I love it. Yeah, I'll recategorize that. Ah, yes, I'm from Germany, but not from any part that you've been to. Yeah? <laughs> yes. Where I come from, we all speak like this. I think I, I might have mentioned before how. Um, for a an audio drama that I was involved with ages and ages and ages and ages ago, right right at the very start of my um, voice acting career, which is called Once Upon a Time in Vegas. And you can still find it, I'm pretty sure, on Pendant Audio. Uh, that's where I do an American accent. Mm. And I'm, I was cast as an American, as a British being an American, and they had to keep on mm-hmm. uh, sending things back to me and saying, you don't say raspberry, you say raspberry. And things like that. Um, Raspberry. But in there, yeah, <laughs> the writers did write a special little line for me to say that I've <laughs> I've lived a lot of places, so my accent sometimes goes a bit wobbly. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh. But yes, pendant audio. Uh, can you can find some of my very early stuff? Same as darkerprojects.com. It was those are two sites where I started off this whole crazy world. And David, listeners will be pleased to know you can hear my early voice acting efforts on Shadows at the Door, the <laughs> podcast. If you go back to a, a, a story called Sleepy Hollow. Actually, my first acting credit is um, Blessed Be the Man. Indeed it is, yes. Well, I am a radio host. Actually, yes. this was the first take of that voice, and I decided I had to scale it back. Yes, you sound like a bit like a hyper-ed Miller Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I'm beginning to wish I never had that bacon sandwich. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. If this stays in the cut, I need to explain. Edward Miliband was the leader of the opposition in the UK, and by all accounts, a nice guy. And he, during the, uh, I, I can't remember if it was before the general election or the, or the, or, you know, the, the campaigning before it, but uh, someone took a picture of him eating a bacon sandwich and he just looked a bit funny mid-bite i challenge any of you to take a picture of yourselves eating a sandwich trying to look great and <laughs> that picture just really killed him headline and ed miliband looks weird eating sandwich yes and of course then came the whole thing of um 
David Cameron eating a burger with a knife and fork. <sighs> but no one actually went on about that because you know he was able to do that. Everyone went on about it's Ed Miliband. It's almost as if, David, what? it's almost as if most of the press in this country is owned by the same man who is personally invested in the success of certain political parties. I, I don't recognise this whatsoever, and I think that this is far too political. And <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've clearly been writing some dystopian sci-fi. <laughs> That's going in season three. Hooray. <laughs> Yes, but uh, but going back to Alana, I'm just really, uh, I just really, I've, I've, I absolutely love uh, our new cast members, and not not as much, of course, David, as I as my endearing and everlasting burning love for you. I should probably get that burning sensation checked. It's out. quite all right. I I understand that. I understand that after such a long relationship, you're looking for other artists. To hey, David, I am monogamous as fuck. So you can... <laughs> <laughs> had to clarify that for one particular listener. But... <laughs> You've gone super red. Wow. Has I really gone red? The lighting's not yeah. great here. I'm just really happy to work with such talented actors, and you know, and and everyone behind the scenes as well. So, but and and. Alana um, recorded that scream at the end, and I said, Alana, that's too good. It's going to sound like I've just purchased a screaming woman sound effect. I'm quite worried for Alana because I've been to her and, and Jake's flat. The walls don't seem that thick. And she screams like that. I feel mm. like Jake's going to go outside like, for a walk, and his neighbor's going to be like, You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and then of course, but that's not the only change that I did to this story, David. As well as uh, I know, I yeah, know, I've been getting bold, David. This is our how many? This is our fourth Mr. James adaptation. Mm-hmm. I think, I've, as I've said before, I've been more faithful to James's work than I have, say, Irving's or Dickens, mm-hmm. because I have such reverence for James. But this one, I've really, I completely added. The monologue about tea. Uh, I added lines um, to explain things, and I took your character mm-hmm. uh, and Long, um, who is Jake's character, who are friends in the original text, and mm-hmm. I made you guys homosexuals. Did you actually say that? I don't think you did. I thought you you said that they were friends rather than. I believe just the script friends. did specify the air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> He says, "Well, you would call us friends, but we uh, we always pick the two same hotel hotel rooms, and there was a door um, between a door them. Between them. Yeah. yeah, you know, we could uh, nosh each other off." Through. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite recall that one, but <laughs> to me, I mean, I'm not implying that this is what James meant by the text. Mm. Before I get attacked by certain corners of the internet, but. To me, it didn't take a huge stretch of the imagination to take a friendship. I mean, come on, how many heterosexual cis men go on holiday with one other heterosexual cis friend? I And I'm not saying they shouldn't. I, I think they really should. Mm-hmm. I think that would be great. Yeah. But it doesn't mm. really happen a lot, does it? Mm, not to the seaside to go and read together. Yeah. Two bros chilling in the hot tub, five feet apart because they're not gay. Yeah, well, there's a scene, and I think I trimmed it down for our our production, but there's a scene where he talks about going upstairs to have a bath. Mm. And then he says, I got out of the bath and fell asleep on the bed for 10 minutes. I'm like, did you 
put something on? <laughs> Did Long come into the room and you were just spread legs akimbo on the bed? <laughs> your your flaccid penis just... Uh, <laughs> or, in, you know, I'm going to cut that bit out. But... Um, <laughs> Like I say, it didn't take a lot to do that, and 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 then and then, mm, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's a joke in here somewhere, David. But the moment I decided to write them as gay, it just felt really natural, and it didn't feel um, mm-hmm. contrived. It didn't feel like I was putting it in for the sake of PC gone mad. No, Jody Whittaker, but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 it's true that uh, back in the days when James was writing, uh, to to be a homosexual was not really something to shout about Mm. and so you would it would be friends and I think I I mentioned before how um, there were two two people at my old church Uh, they were old ladies when I was um, a young man but uh, even then they were described as sisters Mm. but they weren't Mm -hmm. and so it's just one of those ways that polite society manages to paper over these inconsistencies that they don't want to see Mm-hmm. Or they don't want to confront. So for James to talk of friends, I think is, um, yeah. And that I I would I would certainly ag- agree with that. And I and I know there are some people who really do see James as a quote unquote non practicing homosexual. And there are others. I was I was in a. You mean he was a professional homosexual? <laughs> non practicing, I said, didn't I? I well, yeah, yeah, but if he's not practicing, then he's obviously he's he's at the next level. Oh, I see. But he doesn't need to practice. <laughs> he's he's you know he's there. Why, yes, my dairy drink bringeth all the boys to my back garden, <laughs> or indeed front garden. <laughs> I was in a Facebook group the other day, and someone had posted um, an article by Doctor Jane uh, Piddock, who's a friend of mine which was talking mm. about queer readings and James and just all of these, I'm going to say it, all of these heterosexual people were like, oh, why does everyone have to do this? And and I don't frequent this, this group as much, but somebody had beaten me to the point and they said, if you're queer, then it's it becomes a lot more important because there's, mm. there's so much representation for cis white men <laughs> and, and, and many of the Straight groups, men, but, yeah. Um, mm. But like... It is important when someone you respect is is queer because then it you can just you can, if that person was then we're celebrating a part of their life and their and their humanity mm. and if mm-hmm. and and if they're not it's just nice maybe for for someone to see you know oh well that that person did great things and they were you know that they were that way inclined and mm-hmm. and and to me it really reeks of privilege when someone says why do you have to to look for these readings and people I'm like well. Fuck mm-hmm. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, it's true. And and when when your only role models, uh, as mine were as a child, were, were people that I didn't really want to grow up like, mm. uh, or that everywhere on TV, it's you you've got you've got that heteronormative approach. Yeah, it it. It, it's very isolating. Mm-hmm. It's extremely isolating, and, and you, they, it, it's as if the world doesn't have any place for you. Mm-hmm. And that is why representation is so important. And that's why I keep on telling you to stop your bi erasure because 
I, I think it's really disgusting that you would try and eliminate one of the letters of LGBT. <laughs> God. <laughs> But um, completely sidestepping that <laughs> joke, <laughs> it's. But the bi erasure is real because you know even mm, when I mm-hmm. saw gay characters, and let's face it, there was a lot of gay coded people. I, I what did I watch with my kids um, over lockdown? The Great Mouse Detective, and there was the, mm. the villain who was uh, Ratigan, I think he was called, and he was played by Vincent Price. Really gay coded character, mm. and mm-hmm. you know vi- as a villain, and so many gay-coded characters and things, you know, were mm. gay. And it was so unheard of to have someone who, who might be attracted to more than one gender that I literally didn't know that that was possible when I was figuring myself out. So, mm. And, mm. And, and that's probably why I absolutely adore Jack Harkness from Doctor Who. Mm. And Doctor, because mm-hmm. he's not a perfect person, but... You know, and sometimes I think he's almost written as a parody of someone who is who is that way inclined, but... Mm. He was an action hero, and he liked any gender and any race or alien, you know. <laughs> yes. And and I think his character was introduced in what two thousand five. So I was I still would have been relatively young by then. I would have been like what um, seventeen, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You yeah. Would have been. So t- to me, I, I just shakes fist in general direction, yeah, and, I, and I'm pretty sure I've. I've really praised Jack Harkness before, but I, to me, that I am so glad that character exists. And and I remember when mm, I was mm. getting, I was going to do cosplay for the first time, and I was going to be Jack Harkness. And someone, a friend of my then partner, had googled the character and said, "Oh, uh, an omnisexual character. Why does Mark want to be that character?" And I just took the opportunity to say, "Yeah, well, that's kind of like what I am." So. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just a little way to out myself a bit more. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah, <laughs> this is a very earnest discussion saying, today, isn't it? It is more yes, knob yes, jokes. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing I really liked about the characterization, which uh, was in the right in the script when uh, you first sent it through, Mark, you said that my character, well, you gave me a, a, a fairly a good you know good paragraph worth of. Um, description but then you said his smiles are very sad oh yeah I remember that yeah and that that was the sentence that I that just spoke to me it's uh, it it gave me everything I I needed in a way mm-hmm. that combined with the with the way he, he was written mm-hmm. that just yeah it was it was a really nice way of describing the character mm. oh thank you because I I think it was the instructions of the character I thought well he could easily because of his dialogue he could easily come across as very cheerful but yeah and 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 yeah and I can tell you picked up on that because it was in the performance but I think when I first sent you scripts in season one it was like this is Bill uh Bill is 20 he speaks with an English accent and he's five foot eight <laughs> even mm. though I've never put that in and now I can I can get a little <laughs> bit more um I can get a little bit more poetic in how I describe them I think for example <laughs> with Katrina in Sleepy Hollow I think I'd said she's so bored in this small town she has to make her own fun mm. and I think Alana had even said oh yeah she's quite cheeky and mischievous and, and stuff so I was like well mm. that's quite good uh, I think one thing I also liked about that character David is like many of James's stories, this story is told to us through a narrator who was present or has heard of the events. And of course, the reason for that is is because James himself would read these to his his chums at the Chit Chat Society. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, let's use this this framing 
narrative and you know let's have him sat by the fire gathered mm. you know poured himself some tea and and i decided to write an ode to earl gray <laughs> oh to earl gray by mark nixon can i compare thee to a citrus fruit <laughs> that was terrible it is citrus fruit <laughs> buy one get one free <laughs> anyway <laughs> and if anyone who knows me personally knows that one thing I love is to hear people talking about things they love. Mm. Even if I'm not interested in what they're talking about, I, I love seeing people's enthusiasm. So I did this with the narrator. And David and I both drink Earl Grey, but we've got a very key difference. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. David, would you like to tell the listeners your disgusting... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a heathen. I don't take sugar. Um, but I, I make Earl Grey just like I would any normal tea. You know, stick the tea bag in the mug, preferably a nice big mug, pour the water over, and then put milk in. Blech. So I drink Earl Grey just like I drink normal tea with milk. But Earl Grey isn't normal tea, David. It's better. <laughs> See, to me, the moment you add milk, mm. it just removes all taste. That's if because, I, if I that's put because you basically you you hold the tea bag in the general direction of the kettle and then pour the water. <laughs> that is not true. And that, David, what I often do as well <laughs> is that I'll cut up a fresh lemon and put a slice of it into the tea as well. Mm, but you, that's when you know you're a classy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I make no pretensions towards being classy or a bitch. <laughs> a lot of people will be familiar with A Warning to the Curious which by the way is A Warning to the Curious the best title for any ghost story ever <laughs> it might be surely don't touch that it's spooky or um, <laughs> look out behind you there's a curse oh hang on are we going into R.L. Stein territory <laughs> say cheese and die yes. piano lessons can be murder <laughs> yes the ghost beach <laughs> <laughs> which I'm pretty sure that's an M.R. James but <laughs> but a lot of people know A Warning to the Curious of course from the very famous 70s adaptation done by the BBC mm-hmm. and David this this adaptation is so famous that it starts off uh, with Paxton digging up the crown mm-hmm. and, and in the story that we've all just heard we know that the ghost of Ager is watching him oh. and in the Hello. In the in the adaptation, the ghost is stood over and interacting with Paxton. He goes, "No digging no here. Dig here." And in all the niche corners of the internet I'm in, people will just say that they'll just post any picture of some mud and say, "No digging mm. here," and somehow think it's content. No digging here. What do you mean, no digging here? For an M.R. James fan, and I was writing this, and I thought there is no way hmm. in hell am I putting the word the mm. words "no digging here." In this story, or indeed, no digging mm-hmm. ear. Mm-hmm. If we're going to drop the H, but, mm. um, yeah. Uh, but that's a that's a great adaptation, um, and it it uh, has some imagery that can only be done in, in a visual medium. And I think there's a there's a scene where Paxton's looking around his his bedroom at night with a torch, and then it's that classic thing where the the light goes over something. Goes, wait, what was that? Pans back. Ooh, it's it's a g- 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 ghost. <laughs> Zoinks! I'm doing it a disservice. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it as well if it hadn't been for you pesky kids. 
I thought you could say pesky homosexuals. <laughs> More on that story later. I think people of a certain generation are aware of M.R. James purely because of these these BBC adaptations. And hmm. I hadn't... It's funny, I'd read... I definitely... And I, and I know memories as we discussed in Best to Be the Man in the script, <laughs> I know memories can definitely be false, and the more you remember something, the the the, the less true it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember having definitely read Canon Albrecht's scrapbook as a kid, but not never paying attention to the name M.R. James. And then I didn't really come across him again until I would say the late 2000s. And I just think maybe of a certain generation, people aren't as familiar with him. And... You know, immediately if I say spooky writer, a lot of people are going to say Lovecraft or Poe, or mm. if we're going to go a little bit more modern, King, Kuntz, mm-hmm. or or you know, or perhaps Hill, mm-hmm. Jackson, um, Shelley. But I asked this. Oh, hang on, I dropped something. Oh, what have you dropped, Mark? This name. I was speaking to Mark Gatiss about this. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Gatiss. So long before Shadows at the Door was a podcast, it was um, a blog where I just posted my very early short stories, which you'll not find anymore because I'm ashamed of them. But <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, some of them have been rewritten and appear on this podcast, namely "Leave a Light Up for Me" and "Silent Warnings," and uh, one which was sent to No Sleep. So we'll see if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, I, Mark Gatiss came to Mark Gatiss is from uh, County Durham and he, and he came to do an event and I just reached out to Twitter saying hey can I interview you afterwards having not done a single interview before in my life and he said yes yeah. I was like oh great because I knew um, I knew I know Mark Gatiss is, is the MR James fanboy <laughs> that mm. man has made a career out of everything he was into as a kid namely MR James ghost stories Doctor Who mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes James Bond and he does, he does like Bond uh, documentaries and stuff like that. Mm. So I, uh, this is many years ago. I think we're talking 2014. Uh, I I saw... Many years ago is 2014. <laughs> well, 2020 is six years at least. But um, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> but I, I, I saw him after the event. He'd been having a drink. Uh, I think he was tucking into some crisps. And I spoke to him about a few things, uh, including uh, MR James. And we're going we're gonna to seamlessly fade into it here. But as we do... And you hear the voice of a Mark who has no idea what's coming in life. <laughs> you, you, if I decide to leave my question in, you will hear that I am a little bit starstruck as well. And I was just <laughs> quite... And I'd really researched my questions. I didn't want to ask him something he'd been asked before. And he was such a nice guy. But um, yeah, I'll allow... I, and I just realized I've been sitting on this interview and I have a podcast and I've never used it before. So here's me <laughs> talking to Mr. Mark Gatiss uh, about M.R. James. And if I can contain myself, I'll cut it off, I'll cut it off when I start asking him about Doctor Who. <laughs> you feel that James was recognized as some other writers like Lovecraft or anyone like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's the master, and it, I mean, he's absolutely preeminent and is rightly regarded as so. I mean, I don't think there's. You know, the, the only problem I ever had was when I did, my, when I did Crooked House, mm-hmm. I, was, I, I, asked, I think they asked me to do an MR James, and I said, I'd just like to do some new ones, just because, in a way, he becomes the default one. It's a bit like that thing you always get 
when they have the list of the greatest films ever made, it's all—it's so often Citizen Kane, people get a bit bored of it. Mm-hmm. He's clearly the best there's ever been. Mm-hmm. And people start to think, oh, is he? Yes, he is, actually. <laughs> but in fact, what you want to do is kind of mix it up a bit. That's all I want to do. But Tractate and the doc came about because they asked me to do the documentary. And I said, I'd love to, but I'm too busy. And they kept asking, and I just thought, I'll chance my arm. And I said, like, I'll, I'll do it on one condition, that I can, you can, let me write and direct a new adaptation because there's no point. And they said, yes. Mm-hmm. The only trouble is I'd love to do it every year, and yeah. they, they haven't asked. Um, but um, he is incredible. Uh, but I would, love, I would love there to be a broader field for, for others. That's all, you know, Sheridan Lefanu, who, who was his great hero... And, and um, all the people came after him, and you know he was the best. But it would be nice to to mix it up a bit. Yeah. And if the, basically if there were more of them on, it would be easier. But yeah. we could do it with an anthology series, really. Yeah. So that's not all of the interview. And and if David and I ever start the Doctor Who podcast, and I've, we've been threatening you with for a long time. Sorry, then, um... I thought this was the Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, am, what, am we what am I What am I doing? <laughs> and the other thing, which is kind of a little Easter egg that you threw in there at the end of Warning to the Curious, was how my character signed off. Oh, yeah. What What gave you that idea? Ego. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just he these these Jamesian narrators are always talking to somebody and. And I initially was writing it like he was talking directly to the audience, and he and he was like, and he would be talking to someone who never responds, like, "Would you like this? Oh, oh, you'd like you'd like a coffee? Oh, oh dear, you know, mm. and things like that." And then I thought, you know what? I'm gonna make a Troughton because <laughs> we know Troughton has been. It's a little hint to let you know what Troughton's been getting up to, and he's been, as we know, he's been investigating cases even with a with a bit of snobbery to it, and and I added so many little lines like well you've you've read this bit you've read the police reports haven't you and i thought troughton has read enough of this to investigate it and mm. and if indeed troughton returns later this season and and he will <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> if <laughs> if yeah he yeah it's that, that episode is in production so he will um that this is a little hint to let you know where troughton's story is going and i just thought so for Hannah, um, who wrote Loose Ground, she was, when I told her I was going to do this, she said this is now the Nixon expanded universe. <laughs> and we would have to write an Avengers special where, like, Troughton rides Alan the Death Spider into battle <laughs> along alongside Jonathan from Pit Village. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Ichabod Cr- No. Um, yeah, I don't think Ichabod would be very helpful in a big battle no. with Thanos. Oh dear, he's so big and purple. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time anyone said that to me. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? I'm pretty sure Ichabod only liked the ladies. Uh, that was well established. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if anyone's noticed, but I've also started sneaking little clips after the credits. So I thought if it's going to be the Nixon expanded universe, I'm at least going to put some after credit scenes. Um, mm. Whether that be a, a joke or a reference or something, you'll just have to listen after the credits to to hear what little charms I sneak in for us all there. <laughs> is this where the David Alt sex tape is going? No, but... Um, I think we have to stop making that joke because 
after Telltale. I don't need anything else. Oh, and I could yes, never yes, use that. Yes. I could never use yes. that. <laughs> but I did okay, have, yes. before I put any sound effects in, I did just have 20 seconds of you and Jake panting. Um, <laughs> which, you know, there's a, there's a lot of trust with these things, isn't there? So but, Yes, there is, there is. There is also David. And ten oh, minutes later, I woke up. <laughs> oh, oh Christ! <laughs> anyway, um, there is there is a li- another little Easter egg in it, David. Um, I asked you to oh. record oh. a evil, breathless laugh, and I believe in the mm. recording, uh, you complained about that. Um, well, I, I I didn't quite know how to do it, so <laughs> uh, I basically hoped that someone would come along and take that duty away from which me, which I did. And um, <laughs> people will realize that I have one line, which is a laugh. So, <laughs> it's weird because I'm okay playing a death spider and a ghost. I, I was so uncomfortable narrating Sleepy Hollow. And, and that's at the time of recording, that episode's been out, and people are, are being very kind about it. And, and I'm not able to take the compliments. People are like, oh, yeah, you were great. And I'm like, nah, I wasn't. Nah. No. I only did it to, to be nice. <laughs> yeah. What what I quite like is in the story, uh, the narrator keeps mentioning that Long died, and I you read it and you think, oh, Long's died from the ghost, and you're like, oh no no, he's just died of of life, you know, like <laughs> some natural cause, and 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 this. <laughs> Yeah, and they, they do say that the only thing certain in life are death and taxes. So tell me, Mark, uh, just to just to round everything off, if you dug up somehow mm-hmm. a crown that you had the feeling was mm-hmm. cursed, what would you do? Uh, what would I do if I had a cursed crown? I mean, tell me more about the curse, David. How do I know it's cursed? Do I just have a suspicion? Is there someone who's been following me? You've got that sort of mounting dread feeling. You might have seen shadowy David, figures. David, you're going to have to tell me something that I don't already have, a mounting dread. <laughs> <laughs> shadowy figures. Um, everything that Paxton experiences. Basically, if you were Paxton, if mm-hmm. she gender-swapped to being a man, mm-hmm. if you were Paxton, what would you have done in her place? I probably would have spent a better way to spend my weekend, to be honest, but I wouldn't have dug up the crown. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's like these... Do you know what I love about... Just before I answer your question, what I love about these old stories, it's like, we were on holiday minding our own business and some random came over and just forced themselves onto us and now we're stuck <laughs> yes. with them for a long weekend. Yes. I'm here to do some top-quality shagging and now my <laughs> this, this random woman wants us to go digging. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's like... I would throw it into the ocean and assume that, probably wrongly assume that the ghost would run after it. Because if mm-hmm. the ghost is so obsessed with killing me because I dug it up, surely the ghost wants the crown. So, mm. like, once it kills me, is that crown just going to be left in the middle of the high street or wherever it killed me? I would throw mm. it into the ocean. It's mm-hmm. like the ghost from It Follows. Are you, are you familiar with It Follows, David? I am. I am indeed, yes. Well, I'm going to yes. pretend that you're not for the sake of our audience. So I, I'm, not, I'm not aware of this. What, what is It Follows? Okay. Oh, well, it's a great film, David. It's one of my favorites. But basically, it follows as a sexually transmitted ghost. You have sex with someone, the ghost follows you. It, uh, mm. it comes at a walking pace, and it's, it will never stop. 
So you, if you stop to have a nap, it'll catch up with you and kill you while you're in your sleep. Here are some thoughts on that. So let's say I've... Most of my ghost stories take place in Northumberland. Let's say <laughs> I found a haunted crown in Northumberland, or I, 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 or I had sex with someone who gave me an STG, sexually transmitted <laughs> ghost, and I know the ghost is coming for me. Well, I'm going to fly over to Boston in America, probably, mm-hmm. or, or just, just go to America. And if this ghost has to walk on the seabed, I would have to speak to a friend of mine who's very mathematically inclined, work out the speed of the ghost's walking pace, and calculate how long it would take for the ghost to reach me. And then I would just mm-hmm. fly back over to mm-hmm. Britain. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because it's it's interesting. This whole, this whole um, story revolves around someone essentially accidentally does a thing fairly accidentally yeah and then <laughs> whoops has to... i'm digging whoops i kept slipping and putting my weight onto this shovel <laughs> <laughs> sorry and, and then gets well cursed to death for it yeah well that's and that's a, even though that's an antiquarian horror right there yeah even though paxton tries her best to put it back in the ground uh, to appease the ghost, it doesn't work. How are we going to respond to it? But I, I just love that that inevitability that you can't appease it. And I, and I, uh, I'm going to explore this theme a bit more in our finale, actually, David, in the story I'm writing oh, at right. the moment. Okay. So maybe I'll stop here, and okay. for the discussion, Say we'll discuss no that more. more. Mm-hmm. A rather explosive finale, if I do say so myself. Right. Well, we should be looking forward to that, which will be coming in four weeks, six weeks' time, something like that. Uh, it's There's three episodes left after this one, so yeah. But if the creeping inevitable horror comes after you, don't worry, we shall be back in just two weeks' time with our next interesting and slightly way out episode. Yes, and uh, hopefully Jodie Whittaker will be joining us. She hasn't Indeed. responded to any of my emails yet. But um, I think you need to send her another one. Yeah, I think this time I won't put it in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> Come and be on our podcast, David. Yeah, I'm, I'm a professional writer. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like me going, "Hello, I'm David Alt." And this, um, this is me acting from Ripon. <laughs> Fuck me, there's a ghost. Look out. I don't know why you're a Geordie. That is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So it just remains for us to thank um, Jake and Alana, Mark, uh, Nico for the music. And of course, everyone who has uh, donated to our coffee. Thank you very much. Uh, Who has nominated us for the Audioverse Awards. And I think at the time Mm. of release, there is still time to get nominations in. Um, We have been nominated for full production, but there are sort of there, there are options for writers for people like mark and hannah and Gemma, um for music for nico for actual people who who are acting so erica for telltale 
uh, and so on. So if you have the opportunity... And for me, David Alt. <laughs> so if you have the opportunity, do please fill in their nomination form and we can hopefully get something there. Uh, and then also for anyone who has filled in our survey, um, we will be retweeting it at various times just to remind people that it is still there. Uh, but otherwise... We're getting a good stream of questions in and um, it really isn't ask us anything. So, um, yeah. Just we will answer the... any questions. We're going to answer all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what the question is, I think we're going to have a no veto rule. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, just, yeah. And we've. I'm trying not to look at them, so I'm genuinely surprised by them. But I have had a little <laughs> peek at a couple. And I'm already like, oh, shit. So, <laughs> if you want to make a squirm on the podcast on an episode that will probably not really be that edited so <laughs> now's your chance but if you want to make us not squirm but flush with happiness then please leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts because it helps us to spread those shadows you know david someone made a good point you can't leave a review on spotify or um, and it's very hard to leave a review on stitcher so if you do listen to your if you do listen to this podcast on a service that doesn't allow to leave reviews just tell your mates yes share yeah. us around uh, we yeah. we will not promise that no sexually transmitted ghosts but we can promise that we will spread those well shadows. we would have to have sex with them for that david Okay, an orally transmitted ghost, an ATG. That's that's still sex, David. <laughs> Oral, A U R A L. Oh, okay. But um, uh, if you, I don't know what day. I can't. If you want to take up David's offer of sex, just you know, tweet to us, and I'll see what I can arrange for you. And that is Mark being my pimp. So thank you very much for (laughs) listening and uh, we shall see you very soon. And remember to stay after the credits to find out what Mark has placed as part of the Nixon Expanded Universe. A trailer for Iron Man 2. (laughs) So for now, thank you very much and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to a Shadows at the Door production. Story by M.R. James... Adaptation by Mark Nixon. Performances by Ilana Chanel Gelbart, David Alt, Jake Benson. Score by Nico Vitesi. Production by Mark Nixon. Production copyright Shadows at the Door Publishing 2020. If you enjoyed this production, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you very soon. So here we are. I have my cup of old grey with the tea bag in and milk. Ha! In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered, and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you 
Repin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Repin wherever you get your podcasts.